Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Week 13 edition of the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. Man, I'm still trying to breathe from eating all that good food for Thanksgiving, Mark. Good Thanksgiving for you and your family, Ike? No question. I had a good time in North Carolina seeing my sisters, my mom, my nephews, my nieces, all that good stuff. You know, good family time around this time. Family and football, too. My sister-in-law's father, Ike, I don't know if you've ever had grilled turkey before. Yeah, and I saw, I saw, I checked your Instagram and I saw it, and too bad I can't curse, but it was looking so good. <laughs> I had had it only one other time at a previous Thanksgiving, but if you've never had grilled turkey, highly recommend it. Hey, you, but you, only certain people, you got to know how to cook that thing. Correct. Correct. Yeah, you got to know how to cook that thing. My sister-in-law's father has been doing this for years now. And honestly, I don't know if I can have turkey in any other way. I agree with you 100%. On today's show, we're recording this on the Monday after the Steelers' 20-13 win over the Cleveland Browns. We'll break down the absurdity of Browns coach Freddie Kitchens deciding to wear a Pittsburgh Started It t-shirt. And we're going to start with the big takeaway, and we're going to combine it with Taylor talk today. Ike, you wanted to talk about how well coach Mike Tomlin has started this season. And he's finally getting some recognition. And there's a little bit of chatter that he could win coach of the year. Now, if they go to the playoff, I think coach Tomlin, you know, from the Pittsburgh Steelers, he should win coach of the year. And the reason why I'm thinking he should win or saying he should win coach of the year, because you got the Cleveland Browns, they have five and seven. They got a starting quarterback and they got a starting running back. Then you just go down to the Colts. They six and six. Of course, their quarterback Brissett he took a fall, but at the same time, you can just fall all the way down to what the Raiders. So the Raiders have a starting quarterback, have a starting running back. They six and six. Then you can go all the way down to the Chargers, and of course, you know Phillip Rivers he's struggling, but they got a starting quarterback and a starting running back. So you have a coach and coach Tomlin in the division that is tough right now in the AFC I'm talking about, he's down to his third quarterback, his superstar receiver, his superstar running back, his all pro center. Hasn't been the full season with him. So you lose Big Ben Roethlisberger, so you already know what you're thinking as a fan. Oh man, it's gonna be a long season, six and 10 looks good. You lose Mason Rudolph, because he's been struggling as your second string quarterback. So what you thinking? Man, ain't no way we're going to win no ball games with our third string quarterback. But we talked about this last week, Mark. And I talked about how Ben always took a liking to Duck. And I just see, and I like to read some media, and I try to read them between the lines. But when a player is talking, I always listen to the player because the player is with 
their teammate week in, week out, hours and hours and hours throughout the season. So now I see why Seven feels the way he feels about Devin Duck. Now, on the flip side of that, Mark, I'm able to talk to William Gay. And William Gay is on the staff with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's just interning. And I'm asking, I say, I call him Deucey. I say, Deucey, how coach feeling right now? <laughs> say, man, he keeping everybody's spirits up. He's the one that's making sure we all straight. He's the one that's saying, man, we're going to weather this storm. He's the one just saying, man, just give us a few weeks. He's the one that just continually say, man, it's a marathon, not a sprint. He's the one. And I think I did say this last week to you, Mark. This is what Coach Tomlin like. <laughs> when his back is against the wall, when he's not at full tilt, this is when he show he makes his money. And for a league with professional athletes and a lot of other teams have their starters at the quarterback position, the wide receiver position, the center position, to do what Coach Tomlin has been doing at seven and five with a tough road. I'm not saying just the division. It's just tough winning games, period, in the NFL. To be seven and five, to be in a wild card race as your third string quarterback in a center that's not starting, and Juju, who's not playing right now, and Connor, who's not playing right now because of injuries. To be at seven and five, just to be in a hunt, is saying a lot about Coach Tomlin. Coach Tomlin in his 13th season coaching the Pittsburgh Steelers, he has yet to have a losing season in that tenure. And Ike, you mentioned a lot of the offensive skill position players that were out in addition to Marquise Pouncey out. If any of the listeners are listening right now, just put it in that context of the team that you root for. If your starting quarterback was out, your starting running back was out, and your number one wide receiver were out. Would you expect to win consistently the way that the Steelers have this season? It's incredible. It's, it it's is. incredible. It is, Mark. It's, it's impressive. It's very impressive. Duck Hodges was making his second career start. He won his second game. He's the first undrafted rookie to win his first two starts since Ed Rubert for the 1987 Washington Redskins. And here's the thing with Hodges, too. Everyone always says, oh, well, he's the third stringer. Going into camp, he was actually the fourth stringer because the team traded Josh Dobbs to the Jaguars. And so the Steelers thought enough of Mason Rudolph to make that trade because you had a healthy Big Ben at the start of the year. Rudolph seemed to be coming along. And he did show some signs, but he was struggling. So the Steelers decided to go to Duck Hodges, and he was able to deliver He's had a nice connection with James Washington, and we mentioned this on the pod last week. Washington, Rudolph's teammate at Oklahoma State. Washington had his first career 100-yard game as well. And the Steelers right now are really, to me, where the Browns should be. And this was a loser-leaves-town matchup, and here's what I mean by that, Ike. Let me pull up the numbers for you right now. Talk to him. After the loss yesterday, the Browns are effectively eliminated from the playoffs. They have a 6% chance to make the playoffs, meaning the Browns now at 5-7 and seven would pretty much have to win out for any chance to make the playoffs. It likely will not happen. Meanwhile, the Steelers, depending on the report, the New York Times has the Steelers at about a 55% chance of making the playoffs. 
ESPN has it at about 42%. So about 50% chance for the Steelers to make the playoffs. But again, considering all of the injuries that they've had, specifically on the offensive side of the football with their offensive skill position players, and they still find ways to win football games. So how are they doing it? To me, it's the defense. The defense has guided this team. And if you can even have an offense that is respectable, this defense has carried this team this season. And again, they just find ways to win football games. And again, any of the listeners out there, I cannot reiterate this enough. Think about the team that you root for. College or pro, your starting quarterback is out, your starting running back is out, and your best wide receiver is out. Would you still expect to win consistently and have an above 500 record? And what we was talking about with Duck Hodges last week was he's decisive. And you mentioned the Pittsburgh Steelers defense. The Pittsburgh Steelers defense, all they've been doing is creating habit, being very disrespectful. And what I mean by being very disrespectful, sacking the quarterback, creating turnovers, making the offense have short fields for their offense. And when you do that, as a coaching staff, yeah, you do like Mason Rudolph. You like what you see. You like the hard work. You like that he comes in early. He leaves out late. You like the fact that he's a hard worker. You just like a lot of stuff about Mason Rudolph. But right now, Doug Hodges, he's very decisive on his decision-making. And you saw yesterday, like as soon as somebody wasn't open, I think, I think the Browns went to a cover two, a two-man, meaning you have no inside help. So when you play in a two-man on defense, all the guys are bumping running. And the safeties, they got to have deep. So it's too deep, everybody else sitting under. And as soon as Doug Hodges saw the, the Red Sea kind of depart, he just took off for a first down. And that's the decisiveness you need as a quarterback right now because you don't want that defense being on the field all day. Because sooner or later, that defense is going to get tired. All you got to do is look at what the Chicago Bears doing. Chicago Bears got a hell of a defense. It's just they're on the field for too long, and eventually they're going to get tired. The Pittsburgh Steelers, they was doing that with Mason a few games. Playing hell of a defense, there was just too many three and outs, three and outs, three and outs, three and outs, third and longs, third and 14s, third and 10s. And it's hard to play, and it's hard to call a play as a play caller when it's like that. So now you see what the Pittsburgh Steelers are doing. They're getting back to the running game to help their defense. But now your third downs are more manageable. Third and four, third and three, third and two. So it's pretty. It's, it's easier as a play caller to call plays when you have manageable down the distance. But at the same time, it does, you just got to tip your hat to that defense, man. But Dupree, I know his contract coming up, man. He playing like his contract situation coming up. T.J. Watt quietly has been the guy so far. We ain't even going to talk about the secondary. I know we talk about Minka, um, but let's talk about Nelson. Let's talk about Hilton. Let's talk about old school Joe. Let's talk about those guys. And ever since, you know, Vince, ever since Vince Williams came back, which I thought who was the jingle piece, to go along with Devin Bush. <laughs> the defense is looking good right now, man. So as a coaching staff, Coach Tomlin, what I thought was they needed somebody who was going to be decisive. And you don't have to score a ton of points, not what this defense is doing. Just have us just get enough first downs for us to get short fields because we know our defense is going to create havoc and cause turnovers. Let me run some stats by you really quickly to back your point, Ike. Over the last 10 games for the Steelers, 
They rank first in the NFL in takeaways with 28, first in quarterback hits with 78, first in passes defended, first in forced fumbles, first in fumble recoveries, second in interceptions, second in sacks, and tied for third in defensive touchdowns with three. The defense has been incredible. And you want to know what with the offense, how I said they just need to be respectable, right? You mentioned a lot of the third down conversions. Here's how you know, and we're going to go to good call, bad call now. Here's how you know the Steelers made the right decision to start Hodges over Rudolph. Hodges, again, in his second career start, an undrafted rookie, it marked the first time in five games Pittsburgh scored more than one offensive touchdown in a game. And they did it on back-to-back possessions during Sunday's win against the Browns. So you're starting to play more complimentary football, which what we saw on Sunday. And if the Steelers can keep that going moving forward, they just keep finding ways to win. Boomer Esiason said it during the halftime show, Ike, that they were breaking it down. I think it was Boomer. And he said that just winning is a habit in Pittsburgh. And to me, it's just you see just the split. And I I guess how different the cultures are in this game with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns. And again, in a game where loser leaves town, essentially the Browns are done. The road to the playoffs for the Browns this season is slim to none, slim to none. And Pittsburgh is still in it at seven and five. And if the playoffs ended today, the Steelers would be in the sixth seed. So all you see is the organizations who, who win a lot, the New England Patriots, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the New Orleans Saints, consistently, the, the Green Bay Packers, them, them four teams, for the most part, they've been rotating Super Bowls, right? Them four teams been rotating Super Bowls. Other than, you know, Philly snuck one in, and I get all that. But just look at the head coaches. And my point, what I won't get to, when you got a head coach that wears a shirt that says Pittsburgh started it, you ain't going to never see that from a Coach Belichick. You ain't going to never see that from a Tomlin. You ain't going to never see that from a Coach Sean Payton because those guys know better. So that's the mentality. That's the understanding. And Coach T talk about this all the time. The standard is the standard, meaning what's the standard of Pittsburgh? Winning at all costs, regardless of what the situation is. And you can just look, you can just go down to New Orleans because Drew Brees was out for a couple of games and they continue to win. So the mindset is a little bit different. When you got a young coach, your coach Freddie Kitchens, and he wearing that shirt that's talking about, man, Pittsburgh started it. The mindset is a little bit different, man. That's a baby mind from a head guy because you'll never see those coaches who are just named because they've been there, done that, won Super Bowls, understands what it takes to get in the playoffs, understands what it takes to win championships. They mindset a little bit different. And we talked about this earlier with Coach Fred, and not to knock Coach Freddie Kitchens, I think he's a good guy. It's just, I always said you gotta be the dad when you're the coach. You can't be the homeboy. Coach Belichick, he's the dad. Coach Tomlin, he's the dad. Coach Sean Payton, he's the dad. And when you're the dad, you get respect out of grown men. When you're the homeboy, they feel like they can tell you, they feel like they can throw some side pieces at you. You know, they can throw a side punch at you. They can talk to you kind of slick sometimes when you're the homeboy. But when you're the dad, you know dang well, you can't talk slick to pops because there's going to be some consequences. And Kitchens had never been even a coordinator until last year when the Browns fired coordinator Todd Haley. He then became 
the offensive coordinator, and then Greg Williams left, and they decided to go with Kitchens as the head coach. And that's been apparent at many times this season. The play that I think back to with the Browns against New England, it was fourth and 11. They bring on the punt team. Kitchens intentionally takes a false start penalty to avoid having to take a timeout. Goes fourth and 16, puts his offense back on the field, and quarterback Baker Mayfield gets sacked. And it comes back to decision-making and lack of discipline with the Browns. They still allowed the most penalty yards in all of the NFL. And so it's not really about the T-shirt. It's a T-shirt. But why would you give the Steelers any more motivation? And the Steelers players even said this, calling it bulletin board material after the game. Why would you make a joke or give the opposing team any more motivation after one of the nastiest brawls in North American professional sports? I'm not going to call it the nastiest ever. But if a player had done this, Ike, media members would, and rightfully so, be ripping said player. This is your head coach. This is the guy who's supposed to embody your franchise. He's got to know better. And this is a team, I'll go back to even more discipline with, you know, I mentioned the penalties. Demarius Randall, a starting safety, skipping practice in the middle of the week. Now, to the Browns' credit, they decided to bench him. He did not travel with the team to Pittsburgh. But you look at a lot of the decision-making from a head coaching standpoint with Cleveland. It shows in a game like this where you've got Baker Mayfield, former number one overall pick. Like, I know you're not the biggest on where a guy is drafted but you're meaning to tell me a former number one overall pick at starting quarterback with again all of the skilled position players the you know the ferraris and everything with odell <laughs> and jarvis landry and everything that they're losing to a team where on the flip side of the ball for the steelers skilled position players are mostly backups in pittsburgh still found a way to win and they get the swedish revenge of all winning this game and staying in playoff contention. Again, it just, it shows the dichotomy of both franchises. I, and I don't, I hate taking away too much from one game, but there was that much riding on this game. Again, I'm just going to keep repeating this too. It was a loser leaves town matchup on Sunday. No, I mean, that's, that's what you see that. And that goes back to the dad part. Like when you're the coach, you're the dad, man. It, athleticism and talent on both sides of the ball for the Cleveland Browns. Remind me of the 90s Cowboys. Just talent. You got two monsters sitting in the running back between Kareem Hunt and uh, Chubb. Two monsters. You got a, probably one of the most athletic, athletic tight ends in Njoku. So now we go to probably top 10 receivers in Jarvis and OBJ. And you got number one pick at the quarterback position. On defense, you have nothing but first and second and third rounders. The majority of first rounders, because that's how you've been drafted. On defense, from the back end and even through your free agency, you've been getting first and second rounders. So now the talent isn't coming to the production we've been looking for. And who it start with? It start with Coach. But Coach Jimmy Johnson, when he played, he knew how to deal with these because they still talk about it to this day. Like, we didn't play with Coach. We knew the talent that we had. When you talk to the Michael Irvins, the, the Dion's, and we, the Emmitt Smiths, and, and, you know, they had an all-pro offensive lineman, the Troy Amos. They ain't play with Coach Jimmy Johnson. 
all that talent they had, they didn't play with them, and they won because they understood. Coach Freddie, you got a lot of talent. <laughs> you can't let them boys play with you. Because when they play with you, they figure, if I can get away with one thing, I can get away with a few other things. Because the locker room is full of alpha males. And when an alpha male feel like he can get away with one thing, he's going to try and see if he can get away with another thing. But when you nip it in the bud from the get-go, when you nip whatever you're doing as a head coach in the bud, whether you're finding a guy, whether you're benching him, whether you're releasing him, sometimes you just got to make that statement, not here, not on my clock, not today. When you do that, it sends a message to everybody else. You can still be a cool coach and be disciplined. Ain't nothing wrong with that. It's just you can't be a cool coach and not have no kind of discipline. And I think a way to assess Kitchen's value is to ask yourself these two questions. Would another team rather have Kitchens over its current head coach? Would another NFL team hire Kitchens as a head coach if the Browns decide to part ways with him? I'd be surprised if another NFL team answered yes to either of those questions. And that might sound shrewd to say, but a way to assess value is to see what others would want for your services. But at the same time, too, if you're the Browns, if you decide to fire Kitchens at the end of the season, you have to know who's going to replace him. And are there more appealing head coaching vacancies around the league to where maybe the Browns aren't going to get their first, second, or third choice? Coaches in their first year with teams tend to struggle. They do, at least if you look at the last two years. This year, the only first-year head coach who has a winning record and his team in a position to make the playoffs is Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. And if you look at the year before, Matt Nagy with the Bears and Frank Wright with the Colts were the only first-year coaches that made the playoffs. If you look at you know, Steve Wilkes, Patricia with the Lions, Pat Shermer with the Giants, Gruden back with the Raiders, Rabel with the Titans, those teams tend to struggle. They didn't make the playoffs a season ago. And this year, you look around the league at other coaches in their first year with the team. Cliff Kingsbury with the Cardinals, 3-8-1. Zach Taylor with the Bengals. They finally got a win. Vic Fangio in Denver. Brian Flores in Miami. They're playing hard. Uh, Adam, Adam Gase for the New York Jets. Arians back with the Bucks, And Bill Callahan, if you count Jay Gruden's firing with the Washington Redskins. All of those coaches are struggling. So just to make a knee-jerk decision to say, oh, well, we want to fire this guy, you've got to be certain because – the odds of success to bring a guy in in his first year with the team, if you look at the last two years, look at a bigger picture sample size. It goes back to your point, Ike, of how hard it is to win in this league. At the same time, can you overlook all of the things that we mentioned with Freddie Kitchens this season and a lot of the game management decisions that he's made for the Browns throughout the season? And you look on the flip side, if you're a Steelers fan, that question I asked earlier, I don't think there's anyone out there that would rather have Freddie Kitchens as their head coach versus Mike Tomlin. That's what I'm saying, Mark. Like, you naming all these coaches who struggled their first year, but you can't name a coach who had this talent their first year. You can't name a coach who had OBJ Jarvis and Joku, but he's hurt. Nick Chubbs, Kareem Hunt, 
and Baker Mayfield. If I was to say those names, somebody think I'm picking an all-star team. Somebody think I'm, I'm picking up a, a Pro Bowl team for the AFC. Oh, no, nah, dog, we just talking about the Cleveland Browns. Oh, all them guys on one team? Yeah, all them dudes on one team. What their record is, like 11 and five? <laughs> nah, man. <laughs> nah, ain't need close. Ain't need close. Them boys down bad right now. And that's what I'm saying. Every coach you just named, wish they would have had that kind of talent. Starting off. Starting off. We just starting that off. Like, I'm going into an old school 1968 race with a Tesla, and we just doing a quarter mile. <laughs> you know that Tesla going to win. Because the Tesla built for a short burst, and we're going to get that ASAP. That old school, man, you got, it's going to take a little while. To, it's going to get there, but it's going to take a little while. That's what Coach Freddie Kitchens have right now. He got a number of Teslas sitting around that thing. And when you have that much talent, all I'm saying is the expectations are a little bit different. The production should be a little bit different. And the production is you being the dad, not the homeboy. You getting production out of third and fourth string wide receivers from the Pittsburgh Steelers because Coach Tomlin is the dad, not the homeboy. You getting production out of Duck Hodges because Coach Tomlin is the dad, not the homeboy. You getting production out of Snelly because Coach Tomlin is the dad, not the homeboy. You seeing a top 10 defense right now who's really coming to their own because Coach Tomlin is the dad, not the homeboy. And the Browns were plus 120, the favorite to win the AFC North in August. I looked this up. The Browns have not won their division since 1989, and they have the longest active playoff drought in the NFL, not making the playoffs since 2002. And it looks like this is going to be another season where the Browns do not make the playoffs. And again, the Steelers still in a position at the sixth seed in the AFC despite a rocky start having won six of their last seven games. The other bad call I had was the roughing the passer penalty on Bud Dupree on the Browns' final drive of the fourth quarter. I have no idea what's considered roughing the passer anymore. And the reason I bring this up is when that was happening, I was thinking in the back of my mind, oh my gosh, if this blown call ends up costing the Steelers game, I hate to break it down on just one play, but I know earlier this season, you mentioned Chicago's defense earlier. It cost the Denver Broncos a win earlier this season when Bradley Chubb got called for a roughing the passer penalty on Mitchell Trubisky. Chicago drove down and kicker Eddie Pinheiro hit the game winner to put it away and the Bears beat the Broncos. And it's one of those things where with what Dupree did, it's like if Mayfield would have pump faked, he still would have had the ball. And I get that it's hard to be a ref. I get that the league wants to protect quarterbacks. I, I'm not just trying to be a Steelers homer here. I'm not. But I just, I don't get what the league considers roughing the passer anymore. Because to me, the penalty shouldn't have been called. Right now, there's really nothing set in stone. So it's too much the roughing the passer, even passing the Ferris's. Because I don't know if you watch the San Diego and Denver Broncos game and Casey Hayward got called for that pass in the Ferris call. I'm looking at it like, what you want the man to do as a cornerback? Like, you want him to look back for the ball? Like, 
okay, he didn't he didn't run into the receiver. He looked back for the ball. They wind up getting the penalty. Denver wind up kicking a field goal, making it, and the LA Chargers lost. Getting back to your point, with Bud in the call, the roughing the passer call, like, what do you want these defensive guys to start doing now? Putting two hands, snapping two hands on the quarterback and say, I got him? Because the ref should be graded also as well. That's just my personal opinion. We got to get graded as players. Referees got to get graded. And it's going to be some human error. I get all that, as it should. Just like us messing up, we play with our livelihoods. The same thing with these calls. It dictates livelihoods. You know, it dictates from going 10 and 6 to 9 and 7. 10 and 6 will get you in the playoffs. 9 and 7 got you out of the playoffs because one call was made by a referee. That's playing with somebody's livelihood. And what I mean by playing with somebody's livelihood is in the offseason, man, the offseason is short. Now, when you're 9-7 and you're going home, it's easy to make decisions. When you're 10-6 and you try to make a run during the playoffs, man, it's we, we got to think twice about who we want to keep and who we don't want to keep. So when these referees make these decisions, and I get it. Like I say, man, it's going to be some human error. But certain times throughout the game, you know, if it's not blatant, if it's not an automatic call, if you got to ask yourself twice, hold it. Hold that flag. If you got to think twice about it, hold it. If you, if you decisive, I'm all for it. As soon as you see the play and you see the flag and you just throw that thing out, okay, he saw something. Maybe he might have saw it from the wrong angle, but he was decisive about it. I'm cool with it. But if you just see a referee and you see the play and he got the flag, hold it, then throw it, nah. I'm not with that. So how we was talking about Mason Rudolph and Doug Hodges on the coaching staff picking one of the two, the thing we was talking about, the word we used was being decisive. Same thing for a referee. I'm cool with whatever decision they make from here on out as long as they decisive. Because I do have to understand it is a part of human error. It's just I think at certain points in times, Sometimes you just got to hold that flag and, let, and just let the game play out, play itself out. And that's on you, a referee, because you just as part of the game as anybody else. You getting the feel for more for the game than anybody else. Really, you setting the tone. Referees setting the tone out the gate. Either they're going to be flag happy or be like, this is what kind of game it's going to be. It's going to be a physical game. We're going to keep our flags inside. Y'all boys better handle y'all business. I had a coach tell me a long time ago that as a player, you want to play the ball and not let the ball play you. And so the Steelers still able to win. They overcame the penalty. The Browns got a first down, but Joe Hayden getting the interception against his former team, the Browns able to seal the game with about a minute left to go. But it goes back to our points, and we talk about the replay challenges. I, we've talked about mm -hmm. this a lot here on the Believe in Steelers podcast with the league deciding to put in that you can challenge pass interference penalties and the aftermath of the NFC championship game last season between the Rams and the saints. And we see that even if there is pass interference, typically the referees are not going to overcall the decision that's made on the field. And I think that goes to your point of referees deciding to be decisive and just to make the call one way or another. But I would have hated 
to see that if that penalty would have come back and cost the Steelers. And that's why I wanted to talk about a good call, bad call today, because again, I've seen this enough times now. I have no idea what's considered roughing the passer anymore. I remember when Vince Young was still playing for the Titans, he had a game where he came back and won. And I remember during the comeback, one of the linemen had him wrapped up and it was the lineman thought that the referee was going to blow the play dead. And that never happened because well, yeah, what the yeah, league has yeah. done yeah. what the league and has he got done out. to protect quarterbacks. He got out and completed a pass down the field. The Titans came back and won. Yep. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. But I thought it was a really, really bad call on Bud Dupree, who otherwise had a great game. Yeah, like I say, man, Bud, Bud smell that contract around the corner now, Mark. Contract season, baby. <laughs> yeah, Bud smell that contract around the corner, man. He playing out his mind right now. He said, he like, I'm getting tired of y'all talking about TJ. How about some of this Bud action? So Bud is handling his business right now. And you got to love it from a defensive standpoint, too. It's just like, hey, let's just meet at the quarterback. It's almost like a race to the quarterback. It's beautiful to watch. Throw a party. I tell my young kids, the young kids I got from my 12-year team, throw a party at the quarterback. Defensive line, y'all should be throwing a party. Y'all meetings, every time y'all meet and y'all pick up the phone, that means every time the ball is hiked, y'all should be throwing a party at the quarterback. I love that. Let's change gears here a little bit here. I want to talk about... Arizona Cardinals defensive back Josh Shaw is going to be suspended indefinitely for gambling on the NFL on football games. Now, give you a little bit of a background here. Shaw has not played it down this season for the Cardinals. He was put on injured reserve in August with a shoulder injury. And before we get too deep into this, I just want to say my personal opinion. I'm not really opposed to sports gambling in general. I think it's going to continue to grow as more states decide to legalize it across the country. And I think it can interest the guru fan, the hardcore fan, and the casual fan because you can watch your wager, your bet. You can watch actively or passively. But Shaw gambling on NFL games when, you know, take this outside of football, you can't put your place of business. It cannot be a conflict of interest. And so I just wanted to talk about this. I have some questions for you as a former player too just because I think there are still a lot of questions that aren't answered even after Shaw's suspension. But Shaw can petition for reinstatement in February if his possible appeal is denied. But suspensions of NFL players betting, it's pretty rare. The highest profile case came in 1963. Paul Horning of the Green Bay Packers and Alex Karras of the Detroit Lions were both banned for an entire season. Both were reinstated the following season. And then this is something we really haven't seen. We saw it again in 1983. Art Schlitter for the Baltimore Colts got caught betting on NFL games and other sporting events. He was reinstated. And then in 1996, John Stark for the Baltimore Ravens. In that case, Stark never even played in an NFL game. But I, 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 I kind of want to do a rapid fire here. And if you don't know if it's more of a rhetorical question, that, that can mm -hmm. be fine. Do NFL players play fantasy football at all? Fantasy? Yeah, players players play fantasy, but not betting-wise. It, it's like I'm the GM, you know? Like, I, I get my fantasy guys, I'm the GM. So, basically, you know, fantasy football for, for most players is just like, I'm going to get my squad, my squad better than yours because I figure I'm a better GM than you. So, it's more of you like know? a bragging rights thing. That's all, that's all it really is. 
you just showing your teammates or whatever you're doing fantasy football, like, and my squad on, on who I think, because, you know, you got to be up to date on a lot of guys. So you really got to do research on a lot of guys, especially if you're moving guys in and out that lineup when it comes down to fantasy football. You just got to know what you're talking about. You got to trust what you see, you know? So, yeah, a lot of guys do fantasy football. It's the new wave, and the new wave, that's, that's not a bad look because, really, it's keeping you up to date. You start to have a understanding on who's in the NFL, who's good, who's not, who should I play who this certain week, which is great. I like it. I get it. It's, you're honing your skills on being a GM if you, just, if you just think about it like that. But at the same time, the betting part, you know, it's the old saying, man, don't poop where you stay. So, it will, <laughs> like, where you eat. Yeah, so it, it's, it's like, come on, bro. Like, it's, my thing is why? Why would you even put yourself in a position like that now? You're able, if you can stay healthy, to make a lot of money, to make a lot of money. Why go with the short-term money? When the long-term money is right around the corner. It's just like digging a hole. So you dig a hole and you dig it for gold. And when you dig it for gold, man, you just so tired because you thought the gold was going to be right there. But then your homeboy, he digging for gold. He dig 10 more minutes longer than you. And he wind up finding it. Same thing with that situation. Like, you ain't got to dig for nothing if you can just wait one more year. One more season. Your chance and your time and your money is coming. I want to know how he got caught, too. That's the thing that that would be my first question for him. And the league decided that no other players or coaches were involved. Again, Shaw hasn't played at all this season. But how does this guy get caught doing this, too? That's the thing that is most puzzling to me. If I'm doing anything, I'm doing it by myself. Ain't nobody going to know. And, that's, and really, that's the whole problem with this generation. They talk too much. They tell people too much of what they're doing. Not saying it was right on what he was doing, but if I'm doing it, I'm not going to tell on myself. So that means I'm only, I'm only doing it by myself. Ain't nobody else going to know. And the only reason why we're probably talking about this is because he's probably told somebody, somebody else probably told somebody else, and, okay, here go the investigation. Do you think this goes on and some guys just don't get caught? That's the thing. I mean, I, I take this back to like performance enhancing drugs yeah, where, yeah. where it, same thing in sports where yeah, a lot of times it's, it's almost like you can keep it on the down low. And yeah, the guys who ain't getting caught, they ain't saying nothing. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's going on. Buku, meaning a lot. But the, the guys who ain't getting caught, man, they just ain't saying to nobody, man. They ain't going to tell them themselves. So if you don't put nobody in the situation to tell on you and you ain't going to tell on yourself, you good. <laughs> you good. That's just how I look at it. That's how I look at it. It kind of goes back to, you mentioned some of the, the guys around the legal play fantasy. I would imagine if you're going up against the, or say you've got a guy on your team, but mm -hmm. it's a guy that's playing your actual physical NFL team. Mm -hmm. I would imagine that you would want to put him on the bench because you would think that, you know, your team would be able to shut that player down. Any other takeaways you had from Shaw suspension? Nah, you know, be careful. That's all I tell Shaw. Man, and be you, careful. And you cannot put – it's a conflict of interest, right? Again, take this outside right. of sports. Sometimes we like to do this on the Believe in Steelers podcast. But take it outside of sports if you have – information or say it's like insider trading or something like that and it's a clear conflict of interest 
you can't disclose that information. And that's where it is problematic. Again, for players, that's why. I think sports gambling is just going to continue right. to grow in this country. It's going right. to continue to grow in this country. And I think it's going to attract audiences that otherwise might not even be interested in the sport. But, you know, you can hop on your phone, easily make a bet, and then see whether or not you stand to benefit. I, th- I think it's a good thing. Hey, a lot of, a lot of founders who came from across that water to the United States of America, they, they got rich off of gambling. They got rich off of gambling. So when you got gambling becoming legal, it's a lot of stuff that's going to come with that territory. You know how we is. We're all about a dollar in the United States. There's one thing we know how to do. We know how to make this money. <laughs> so, you know, it's just with sports, everybody is, everybody's in tune with sports in the United States. Like, really, that's how we build. That's how you have 150,000 arenas. Like, when you go to the, to the LSUs and the Penn States and the Alabama's and that and that stadium hold one hundred twenty thousand. Like people love their sports in America, man, really do. And now soccer is starting to be huge in America. So you can only imagine how soccer is going to be in ten years. So between football, baseball, uh, basketball, and you know hockey, you know hockey for the most part. The only reason why I know about hockey is because the Pittsburgh Penguins and them boys bring home Stanley Cups. But, you know, you, I hate to say it, but I feel like soccer is c- kind of taking over. Hockey. Like, it's, 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 it's big in the community. More kids are starting to do it at a young age. It's become a very diverse kind of, kind of sport for a lot of people. So when you want to talk about gambling, man, you, you're talking about a country, you can pretty much play and watch and gamble on any sport. Oh, it's, it's incredible how many different things you can gamble on. Now, for the, listeners, for the listeners, just to explain this to them, the U.S. Supreme Court in 2017 essentially gave each individual state the green light to decide whether to allow sports gambling or not. So that happened in 2017, and you've seen more and more and more states begin to adopt sports gambling. Making that money. Yep. They're make they, they making that money. It's just like it ain't nothing but like hitting the lotto ticket. So in order for somebody to hit the lotto ticket, that's like finding a, a needle in the haystack. But how much money is getting, how much money are people spending to hit the lottery ticket? And that's a great point, like, too, because you can then see where the money's coming in. I know before it was, oh, if the money's coming in an all one way, we can't regulate it, we can't track it, and fixes in and everything. If you can regulate it and you know where people are allocating their money, to me, it, it almost makes it safer by allowing it. But you know, they, they don't, they meaning the people who's in charge, they don't want that. They, they don't want you to know everything. They're not going to tell you everything. Everyone's so, a slice of the pie at the end of the day though. Correct. That's, so I'm only, I'm only going to keep this slice of the pie to a minimum. Everybody can't have this slice of the pie. You know, that's, that's just how it is. So yeah, I think every state eventually, they're going to go with gambling. They're going to go with it. I give it five more years, every state. They might have one state that's going to be stubborn, that's going to be like, we ain't doing what y'all are doing. Or maybe a few states that's going to be stubborn, we ain't doing what y'all are doing. But eventually they're going to have to do it because it just generates a lot of money. Absolutely. 
If you're interested in advertising or becoming a presenting sponsor of the Believe in Steelers podcast with Ike Taylor and Mark Bergen, please contact the Believe Podcast Network at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Ike, you'll be able to listen to this show wherever you get your podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Luminary, TuneIn, and now we're on iHeartRadio as well. So be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Ike, I think I can say this on behalf of you too. Thank you so much to the listeners who have tuned into the show. You make it better. We look at your feedback. We love your questions. We love when you interact with the show. It helps us get better. And we like bringing your voice onto the Believe in Steelers podcast. Yeah, I just want to make sure, I just want to, you know, piggyback off what you said, Mark. Uh, everybody who's listening to the Believe Steelers podcast with Mark and I, man, continue to listen. Make sure you rate our shows, man. The ratings has been good. I like the feedback, so really I post this on my Twitter at Ike underscore Swagging You, or you can catch me on Instagram, one of a kind. I don't mind the feedback, regardless of whether y'all think y'all get into my feelings or not. I appreciate the feedback. So keep giving us feedback. Keep tuning in. We appreciate the love and support. And as always, I'll leave our social media information in the show notes too, so feel free to reach out to us there. Ike, this was fun. Week 13 wrapping up, and the Steelers next up on the road against the Arizona Cardinals. Pittsburgh opens as a one-and-a-half-point favorite over-under at 43-and-a-half points. So we'll see if the Steelers can continue with their winning ways on the road next weekend. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. We'll see you next week. So long, everybody. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.